I don't know if we got, do we got any extra Bibles, Jerry? If you need an extra Bible, just raise your hand and Jerry will slip you a Bible so you can follow along with us. We'll see how far we get tonight. So Psalm 41, so we continue our study. I was just going to comment, isn't it? I believe it's such a tremendous blessing when I dismiss middle schoolers and high schoolers and half the sanctuary goes up. It is a blessing, and it's a blessing to have you guys here tonight as well. So we'll start in Psalm 41. A um, couple things, uh, parents, the um, kids are going to be uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers. are going to do an event on Friday, and that is, I got a card here, um, at Funplex, 6 to 7.30, mini golf, and that is for middle schoolers and high schoolers, $6 for them to do that. So... Luke and Ashley are going to do that on Friday night. And then on Saturday um, is Koinia Fellowship. Jerry and Sandy Sanders will be hosting that. All that information is there in your bulletin. Six o'clock and uh, potluck. And then it includes also afterwards time of fellowship and Bible study. So there's um, a number you can call. There's maps to their house. And all of you are welcome to Koinia Fellowship on this Saturday. Also... Um, this Sunday is Father's Day. Um, so if you'd like to do some shopping for dad, uh, none of my kids are in here. So um, <laughs> the bookstore should be open after service. So there's some nice things in there. Take a look uh, for dad. So we're looking forward to Father's Day on Sunday. A couple things. The uh, baby bottle campaign ends for the pregnancy center. So it's a fundraiser for them. So you can bring the baby bottles back on Sunday. Be sure that you bring those bottles back, and we'll collect them. Make sure that the Pregnancy Center gets those. And then also we'll be continuing. We just started a study in Ephesians. So uh, we got through the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 1. This Sunday, what we're going to be looking at as we go in verses 5 through 14 is um, it's a com- one continuous sentence, um, the longest sentence in the Bible that actually starts in verse 4 and goes through verse uh, 14, I believe, of uh, first uh, chapter of Ephesians. It's the longest sentence in the Bible, and Paul just keeps, it's a run-on sentence, as any English teacher would tell you. But he, he just keeps telling us of the spiritual blessings that we have in the heavenlies as we're taken up into the heavenlies. And so you're going to be tremendously blessed as we look at that portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. So come on out, 8, 9, 30, and 11 o'clock. Um, bring somebody to Calvary Chapel, and we look forward to just studying God's Word and worshiping once again in the book of Ephesians. Other things that are there in your bulletin, take a look at it. Um, but one other thing, um, just as you know, some people are asking questions, been calling the last couple of days, and uh, with the strong police presence that is right down the street here. First of all, I just want you to be assured that um, that we are all safe here and our kids are safe. And um, matter of fact, um, as you probably have read in the, in the newspaper or heard on the news, is that there's somebody barricaded down the street. And uh, so it's been going on for three days. Some of you were a little bit concerned because there was a strong police presence in our parking lot and um, were trying to call me and see if I was okay. Believe me, I was okay. Probably this was the safest place in all of Greeley. And, um, the last couple of days, but um, they were using the church as a command center uh, for two days, and I was with them. They called me up, and uh, being a chaplain for the Well County Sheriff's Office for the last 13 years, um, they asked if um, I could assist them, 
and so we opened up the church for them. So I appreciate your patience. Um, I hope it wasn't uh, too much of an inconvenience, pretty much. Uh, what day is it? Wednesday. Of course it's Wednesday. That's why we're here. Um, <laughs> it's been a long couple days. Sue said, you know, you got a toothbrush in your back pocket. <laughs> See, Tuesday morning is here till 3 in the morning with them. And then 1.30 in the morning this morning. Um, but um, with the situation going on, they were here in SWAT. And um, so I was just here to assist them and help them in any way, small way that I could. And we want to pray for them. They're desiring that uh, this gets resolved peacefully for everyone, the officers in the community and everybody that's involved. So that's what we want to do. And uh, so um, that's why uh, you saw that, that presence and everybody's safe tonight. And uh, otherwise, they wouldn't let us have service. But uh, you can be assured that we are all safe. And, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I was uh, kind of mentioning when I did Calvary Live this afternoon is, uh, this week I was hoping uh, with Pastor John being gone and Travis and a lot of staff on vacation, I thought it's going to be a quiet week, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get a lot done. And, um, but you never know what the Lord has for you. And, and that's why we always as Christians want to be open to what the Lord has and how he wants to direct us because perhaps he's going to take you uh, somewhere where you never thought, you know, that was going to happen for today. And the last couple of days have, um, you know, my schedule has been interrupted and long days. And uh, the last three days I've been living on donuts. And, um, and so, but it's an opportunity to be able to minister to a lot of people in my heart. So, you know, and I, and I don't talk a whole lot about it, my ministry uh, with Will County Sheriff's Office and over the last 13 years, because it is, uh, for a couple reasons, very personal, and uh, there are some things in it that are sometimes hard to talk about. And um, other reasons, too, is um, I like to be very confidential in my dealings with uh, law enforcement and the things that I see and um, perhaps the briefings that I go through. So that's why some were saying, well, why didn't you post it on Facebook? I won't post what I do on Facebook. Um, I'll keep it very quiet and just share with you some uh, things, and that is mostly for prayer and uh, other things as I minister to first responders. But God has put them on my heart, and, and for some reason he's been able to open up the door to minister to them ever since 9-11 happened when I had the opportunity to go to New York and be at Ground Zero and minister to New York City police officers at that time. It was an awful time. It was awful. And just to see that it was still burning and to be with them. And um, so I've always had a heart for police officers. And, and I know that some, perhaps, I want to be able to minister to everyone, but um, they need to be ministered to. And so that's why I have a ministry with them and have for the last 13 years. So I appreciate your prayers in that. And uh, like I said, I don't talk a whole lot about it. But it was a privilege and honor just to be with them and assist them and be there with them. And so they need our prayers. They need our support. We live uh, in a day and age right now where um, they're under a lot of pressure and under a lot of attack. So we want to make sure that uh, we support them. And Scripture says that they, their work that they do is ordained by God, and it's a good work, and it's an honorable work. And uh, like anything else, nothing is perfect. Um, but they are for our good and for uh, the safety of our community, and we want to 
appreciate them and minister to them. They're under a lot of pressure. I don't know if you guys know this, but the, um, uh, I think the suicide rate among uh, police officers is seven times the normal. And um, so a high suicide rate, very high divorce rate. Matter of fact, the first call that I ever got, it was 13 years ago when we had pagers, and you know, nobody has a pager now. Um, but the very first night that I had my pager was a peace officer in the local area that committed suicide with their own gun. And so, you know, it is very difficult, a lot of pressure, a lot of, um, you know, things that I've seen um, in critical incidents, so I need your support, okay? So, Father, we ask that you just bless those guys. And, Lord, they're tired, and they're trying to resolve this very peacefully. And, Lord, I just pray that, um, that we would always support them. And, Father, just the uh, pressure that they're under and trying to resolve this, we continue to pray for them tonight. And I thank you that um, for the opportunity to be able to minister. And I pray for wisdom as even tonight as I check on them. And Lord, I just pray that um, as they're tired and as I'm sure they're frustrated and um, everybody involved, and I just pray for their wisdom, uh, that your wisdom would be given to them and um, direction and guidance. Father, I pray that tonight as we study your word, I, I thank you for all the young people that are here. And I pray that I, as I look in the children's ministry, the room just packed with kids. And I thank you for the work that you're doing here. And my prayer is that as we see David, as he writes these psalms and the sons of Korah, that Lord, that um, as they express just uh, hardship and difficulty that perhaps some tonight are going through, some pretty rough seasons and difficult circumstances. And it's my prayer is that, Lord, is that we would be comforted, that we would be instructed, Lord, that we would be encouraged. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 41 is, we see that David writes this psalm. And David, once again, is writing about sin and sickness, how it unites, and how David is in distress and uh, he's in danger as his enemies are waiting for him to die. And some scholars believe that this was, this was written about the time of Absalom's rebellion. And you know from 2 Samuel chapter 15 that David's son Absalom rebelled against him for reasons that we don't have time to go into tonight. But in that rebellion, Absalom um, was very angry at his father David. And when David sinned with Bathsheba, when Nathan the prophet came to him, as you know the story, that Nathan confronted David on his sin, and we know that the consequences were told to David as the Lord said that even those of your own household are going to come against you, David. And that's what happened a few years later as Absalom, the scripture says, that physically he was without spot and, and you know, blemish. And he, he was just handsome. He had long hair. Um, he was very dynamic. He had a chariot with 50 runners that went before him. So he put on a great show, the outward appearance, but inwardly, Absalom was full of bitterness and anger towards his father. And it grew and it grew and it grew to where he would go to the palace where um, the people would come to hear you know, their case being heard before David's advisors and the judges. 
and the people would have to come early in the morning because it isn't like today if you have to go to court to settle a matter uh, there's a court date and it's all set up and and you go at that time but in ancient Israel you had to go to where David was or where the judges were around and you had to wait for your case to be heard well, what Absalom did was that he would go early in the morning and he began to, you know, undermine David's, um, you know, uh, authority. And he said, if I was the king, I would hear your case. I would really show that I care about you guys. And so the scripture tells us that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel away from David. And so he led this rebellion. David would leave Jerusalem. And one of the reasons that David left Jerusalem is because he wasn't a chicken. He just didn't want there to be a lot of bloodshed in Jerusalem. Remember, he knew that Jerusalem was God's holy city. That was going to be the place where David desired that the temple would be built. And even though David didn't build a temple, his son Solomon did, David knew of the covenant that God had made with him and that Jerusalem was a special place and that the temple eventually would be built there in Jerusalem. So David, with all that in mind, didn't want there to be bloodshed that was spilled in the holy city of Jerusalem. So he goes to the wilderness. And we know that David was very much under distress. He was very much, um, you know, uh, feeling uh, the effects emotionally and spiritually and even physically as Absalom, his own son, wanted to kill him. And Absalom is going to get advice from a good friend of David's that we're going to talk about here in a few verses. And it shows us the evidence that this was written at the time of Absalom's rebellion. So let's begin to look at Psalm 41. Blessed is he who, who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. In verse 3, the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sick bed. So remember that God cares about the poor. And um, as we talk about the poor here, David's not writing about those who lack materially. David's talking about the poor in spirit. And the reason that I believe that is because you recall that last week we ended uh, in Psalm 40, verse 17, that David writes that I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. So David at this time, he, he's poor in spirit. And of course, it was Jesus that said on a hillside in uh, Galilee, in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So he's not just talking about a lack of wealth, but one who is powerless and helpless, and even sickness is mentioned here. And God is the one that is the helper of anyone who is in that situation. And that brings great comfort to me, knowing that, Lord, you know those who are poor in spirit. When we are really needed and in distress and, and going through difficult times. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this this afternoon that I really love about David's Psalms that we have seen already as we're closing book one. Most of these Psalms uh, that we have seen so far penned by David. And didn't David really pour out his heart? He's very articulate in expressing that, you know what, I've struggled and, and I'm hurting. And I'm hurting emotionally and physically and spiritually. And, um, you know, sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we like to hold it in. And even in the times that I think is helpful that we can journal, and, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit uh, as we continue through tonight. 
that you can express those things to the Lord and really pour out your heart to the Lord. And David was one that did that. And so he's struggling here. He's hurting. And any of you that have had perhaps a close family member or a very close uh, friend or somebody that, that you really care for come against you and, and rebel against you and try to hurt you and, and does that in the actions that they do towards you, you can feel what David is feeling here. So he cries out to the Lord, and he says that you will sustain him on his sickbed. In verse 4, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies, and his heart gathers iniquity to itself. And when he goes out, he tells it. So here, David's enemies desire for him to perish. And, and when are you know, your name's going to, to perish in verse 5 here. That's what they're saying. They're speaking evil of me. You know, when is his name going to be, you know, perish? And they didn't understand the covenant that God had made with David, that David, that your throne is going to be established, and, and upon your throne, David, is going to come the Messiah. They didn't understand that David, that his name is going to be established, and that Messiah would come from him. That's why they would cry out to Jesus, Son of David. That was a messianic term. So here they are really coming against him. And when we are poor in spirit, when we're down and sick and helpless, um, you really begin uh, to understand, especially when those are close to you. And David at this time is feeling probably so alone. And I know that perhaps some of you have felt that in your life, if not most of you. That there's been a season in your life where you felt all alone and you're poor in spirit and you're really hurting. And David knew that he was to cry out to the Lord and that the Lord was his help. And then in verse 7, all who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. And evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So here, as, as David is just expressing, um, we don't know in verse 8, an evil disease, they say, clings to him. What exactly was going on uh, physically? But David was hurting in that way. He mentions his sickness. Uh, he's done. Uh, they whisper against me uh, as David is going through this trial. But I want us to notice here in verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who has ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So as we look at this, we know that most scholars believe that this is a reference to Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel, is, as we have talked about him before in previous studies going through the Old Testament, but if you're not familiar, you're wondering, who's Ahithophel? Ahithophel was David's trusted advisor. And matter of fact, we know that David's going to talk about Ahithophel in chapter 55 as well. Let me read it to you, and we'll talk more specifically when we get to chapter 55, what, next week? Um, but um, I'm just kidding, all right? I'm seeing if you're paying attention. For he writes about Ahithophel in Psalm 55 as he's writing about, you know, the, the, again, those who have turned against him. But he writes this. He says, for if it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you. David is saying, but it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, 
we took sweet counsel together and we walked in the house of God in the throne. So here David is talking about, you know, you're my friend, one that, that I trusted in. And, and he, he goes on and he's talking about my familiar friend uh, who ate my bread and the fellowship that they had. Oftentimes I hear pastors and, 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 and talk a lot about the relationship that David had with Jonathan in 1 Samuel. Remember Jonathan, who was the son of Saul? And they kind of made a covenant, their friendship, and, and they were close. But I really personally think that the one that David was close to was Ahithophel. Ahithophel, who he took sweet counsel with. We know from 2 Samuel that when Ahithophel spoke, it was like the oracles of God. In other words, he had such godly wisdom, and he spoke the things of God. And David, as we have discovered, was such a man after God's own heart who loved the word of God, who loved to hear from God, that he says, we took sweet counsel together. And I just picture David is there with Ahithophel talking for hours to his counselor and how close they were. And we broke bread together. I think that David was a lot closer to Ahithophel than he was to Jonathan. And David is hurting here. And David is saying, my own familiar friend has raised up against me his, you know, ate bread and lifted up his heel against me. So you can see why David is so poor in spirit and he's downcast and he's sick and he, he's in distress. Not only his own son whom he loved, because even though Absalom decided to kill or want to kill his father David, and so did Ahithophel. David is leaving Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 15 as you go into 16. And the word comes to David as he's escaping that Ahithophel is with Absalom. And David said, uh-oh, that's my own interpretation. May the Lord confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. He knew that he was in big trouble if his son Absalom took the counsel of the Ahithophel. And so Hushai, you go to my son Absalom. You go in the palace. You go in kind of as a spy and you confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel comes to Absalom when Absalom comes into Jerusalem and sits upon the throne. And Ahithophel said, this is what you need to do. You need to go after David right now. I will do it. I will take the choice men of Israel. We will pursue him tonight and I will kill him. And Hushai said, no, don't do that. Because David is like a bear with cubs. And he's with his mighty men. And what you need to do is you need to gather all the men of Israel from, you know, Dan up north to Beersheba down south and have this great army and go against David. And there is Absalom on the throne thinking, hmm, I'm going to take the advice of Hushai. I'm going to take his advice. And Ahithophel knew because his advice wasn't taken that David was going to escape. And Ahithophel goes out and he hangs himself. How could one person who spent all those hours as they took sweet counsel together, how could that one person, Ahithophel, never mind about Absalom. Absalom was upset because how David handled some situations concerning the family and his sister Tamar. And that took time over time that Absalom, his own son, wanted to kill his own father, take the throne away from him. And here's Ahithophel and David. What a, 
you know, the closest people that he had to him turning on him, wanting to kill him, and Ahithophel, he ends up hanging himself. Why? Why was he so angry? Why all of a sudden the change for him? Because he had a granddaughter named Bathsheba. And you see, Bathsheba, he, I'm sure, loved very much. And over the years, Ahithophel, the anger and the bitterness and, and what had happened. And, and not only did what you did to Bathsheba, but to her husband. And murdering him. And he got so angry that he said, I will go after David and I will kill him. That's why there's the imperative to forgive. And maybe you're here tonight and maybe somebody very close to you, maybe is one of your own children or family members. Or somebody is very close to you that you've been on the end of what David has experienced and that is they're bitter and they're angry and you don't understand why and you hurt. But I also want to address the one that perhaps for whatever reason, you might think I have good reasons to be angry at somebody, that the imperative of to forgive is given to us in Scripture. Why? Because you'll get all hung up you'll get all hung up in bitterness and in wrath and anger and it'll begin to affect you and eat away at you spiritually. You see, what is interesting also about this in verse 9, that as a lot of you know, that this is a verse that Jesus quoted so that the scriptures may be fulfilled concerning Judas. Judas, who we look at and sometimes we can have the attitude of, of Judas, he was such a rat, you know, and he was. He betrayed our Lord. But sometimes we can think of that our Lord must have looked at Judas because Jesus knew that that was going to happen. And in that upper room, on the night that Jesus would be betrayed by Judas, he's talking about his betrayer, and he said, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all going to the other disciples. Is it I? Is it me? Who is it? They had no clue that it was Judas. In other words, they weren't looking at Judas and saying, it's got to be Judas. I mean, look at him. He's kind of, you know, off in the distance. We don't trust him. He's got those shifty eyes, you know, and he's always up to something. No, he's the one that held the money bag. He's the one that they trusted the most. And he's sitting next to Jesus on the right hand of Jesus. And the one who dips his bread with me. As they ate bread together, is the one that's going to lift up his heel against me. So that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And I think it gives us some insight also to how Jesus felt about Judas. Because, again, as I was really thinking about this and praying through this passage this afternoon, because I thought, Lord, I, I don't want to be distracted tonight. And I'm distracted right now. And I just need to just focus on what needs to be said. But I was thinking about this, and I think the Lord was just kind of ministering to me in this way. I've always thought that, you know, Jesus maybe was a little bit indifferent to Judas. You know, he's going to betray me. I know it. And, um, and he had some hard things to say about Judas. That it would be better if he was never born. But I think that as we look at the relationship that David had with Ahithophel, that David's really hurting. I think Jesus was really hurting, really hurting over Judas. 
that Judas betrayed me, even though he knew it was going to happen and for the purposes of eternity that Jesus would be handed over to the chief priests and elders so he could go to Calvary and die for you and for me. I think Jesus still was hurting. What you must do. What you must do, Judas, do quickly. So Jesus was hurting over the fact that Judas lifted up his heel against him. So David, as we put ourselves in his sandals, we can really begin to kind of understand a little bit. We can't fully understand it, how much he was hurting and stuff. So David writing this psalm during this time in verse 10, but he begins to put his focus on the Lord. And But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set before me your face forever. So in this, we see David was always seeking God's mercy and to uphold him, to, to be firmly established in the Lord because he knew that his enemies would not triumph over him. And then David ends the psalm and prays, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So that finishes book one, the first 41 chapters of Psalms. Now, as I mentioned to you when we began to study in this book, Psalms has 150 chapters, as you know. And at least half of the Psalms, um, or almost half, David's name is attributed to those Psalms, 73. It is very probable, almost certain, that David wrote more than 73 Psalms, but his name isn't attributed to them. But it's very likely that he wrote some of the Psalms, like Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. So David wrote at least half of the Psalms that we have. And as we get into now book number two, we're going to see that we're going to hear about, as we get into Psalm 42, the sons of Korah. We're going to see that some of the Psalms were written by Asaph, even as we progress through the book by Moses. And, and so that's what we're going to see. And that's what we start out here as we begin to look at Psalm 42. So the title, as we begin book two, that will take us through chapter 72, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Now, it is believed, first of all, that Psalm 42 and 43 originally was one psalm, but later was separated. And as there are some who, as you read about their comments on Psalm 42 and 43, they also will tie it into the uh, sons of Korah writing about Absalom's rebellion. I don't think it was, and, I, and I'll tell you why as we progress through this. But here is the sons of Korah, contemplation of them. Who was Korah? Um, the sons of Korah, Korah was uh, mentioned, as you know from your Bible studies, in Numbers chapter 16. What happened in Numbers chapter 16? What happened was, is that Korah and Dathan and some of the leaders of the children of Israel came to Moses and Aaron and they said, you know what, Moses, Aaron, you guys take too much upon yourself. We're special too. You guys think you're something else. And they were challenging their ministry. And particularly as you read chapters 16 and 17 of Numbers, they were challenging Aaron's ministry as the high priest. You see, Korah was the son of Korath. You say, so what, Pastor Jeff? Here's what was happening. You know that in the tabernacle out there in the wilderness, as Moses was instructed by the Lord to build a tabernacle. 
And we also know that the priestly tribe was the tribe of Levi, right? Moses was from the tribe of Levi, so was Aaron. And the priests were the direct descendants of Aaron. So every priest was a Levi, but not every Levite was a priest. Because as the direct descendants of Aaron did the priestly duties and the sacrifices that you read about in the book of Leviticus, they also were the only ones that were allowed into the tabernacle, into the temple as Solomon would build the first temple and then the second temple was built. They were the only ones that you know, would go in and, and light the menorahs and burn incense at the table of incense. They would change out the, the show, you know, the bread, the show bread that was there in the holy place. So that was the duties of the priests. The Levites, there were different families of the Levites. There was the Kohathites, where Koah came from here. There was the Gershonites and the Maronites. And so not every Levite was a priest. Every priest was a Levite. And as you go into Numbers chapter 4, it tells us the responsibilities of those different families of the Levites. So they're out there in the wilderness. And remember this, that when that pillar of cloud by day would move or the pillar of fire by night, whenever it lifted from the tabernacle and it moved, what happened? It was packing time, wasn't it? It was time to fold the tabernacle up and it was made of, you know, uh, animal skins and it was portable. So each one of those family, the Kohathites, the Maronites, uh, the Gershonites, all had responsibilities. And the responsibility of the Kohathites, from which Korah came from in Numbers chapter 16, is they had the cool part of carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, right? The Lord came along and said, you know what, Moses? Only the high priest is allowed to the Holy of Holies only on the Day of Atonement where he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat that covered the, the, the box that was called the Ark of the Covenant. And as they would move, the priest would go in, he would cover it up, and then the Kohathites would go in backwards, put the poles in, and they would carry it out. And the Lord said, if you touch the Ark of the Covenant, anybody, you shall surely die. We saw an illustration of that as David was wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back from Kirjath Jerim to the city of David in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and 7. And we know that it was David that as he celebrated and there were sacrifices and it was a great celebration, he's wanting to make the city of David the central place of, of worship. And all of a sudden, they, as they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and one of the guys, Uzzah, reaches out and touches the Ark of the Covenant, down he went. Dead. And everything stopped. And David was confused. He, he was scared. And what's going on? Lord, I, I desire to, to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the most important furnishing, where, you know, the mercy seat's on top of it and where the Shekinah glory of God, because David wanted to be close to the presence of God. And I want to worship you, Lord, and I'm desiring to bring it back to the city of David. What happened? I had good intentions, but he was doing it all wrong. Remember before that, how did the Ark of the Covenant get to Gergeth-Jerim? The Philistines captured it in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. And as the Philistines captured it, all of a sudden it went to the cities of the Philistines as, first of all, it ended up in the temple dedicated to Dagon. Dagon was the fish god of the Philistines. And remember, God began to strike the, the Philistines with tumors. And they said, hey, you know, it was a hot potato over some, you know, let's get rid of this thing. We'll send it to this city. And 
more plagues came upon them. So what they finally did is they put the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines, with two milk cows and sent it into Israel. And what David was doing is he was doing it the world's way. You see, there's important lessons in that. In anything that we want to do, we want to make sure that we do it in a way that honors the Lord, in the way that he's prescribed to us. So David realized this is to go on the shoulders of, you know, the Levites to carry the Ark of the Covenant. We see that when the children of Israel came into the Promised Land when they stepped into the Jordan River. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. So the Kohathites, here's Korah. Why was he, you know, challenging Mo, uh, Moses and Aaron, particularly Aaron, who was the high priest? It was like they were saying, we're special too. And he wasn't, you know, satisfied with the ministry that God had given him and his family, and that is to carry the, the um, Ark of the Covenant and the furnishings. I want to be the high priest. I want Aaron's ministry. And you know, at the end of the chapter, in chapter 16, what happened? The earth opened up and swallowed Korah and those leaders and those who led this rebellion against Moses. And if you want to really find yourself in a pit... What you do is you begin to challenge other people and what God is doing in them and through them, through jealousies. Or I want to do this. God's got a ministry for every single one of us. Hey, you Kothites, you carry the furnishings. You Gershonites, what you're to do is take care of the, the pegs and the boards and, and, and take care of that. And, and the Maronites, what you're to do is take care of the curtains. You all have a ministry to do. And be content with it. So here's Korah, he swallowed up, and here are the sons of Korah that were worship leaders. Now, when they went from the tabernacle to the temple, it's a permanent structure, the temple. So David, as you know, in our studies of the Old Testament, he began to give the responsibilities to the Levites as worship leaders and gatekeepers, and worship was very much an important part as they assisted the priests in the ministry there. So he had it all organized as he was inspired by the Spirit of God to have that organized for temple worship. I see the Levites in the Old Testament as kind of very similar to who we would call deacons in the New Testament. Deacons, servants, deaconess. Literally means servant who served tables. The Levites, they would help the priests. They rolled up their sleeves they did very practical things, but they also were ones who were worshipers. And so I mention all of this to kind of put everything together because this being the sons of Korah, now when you think about it, you know who Korah was, and now his descendants were ones that are now worship leaders. And I think it just speaks of the grace and the mercy of God. So here, as they, even though there's a bad history, we see that God would use them, use them in worship. And I think that as we go through this psalm, that this is a Levite that is away from Jerusalem. And he would lead pilgrims to Jerusalem during the feast. And for some reason here, he feels like, hey, that isn't happening. And I'm away from that fellowship with God because the, the temple was everything. The center of worship in Israel. So he's feeling dry spiritually. So with that in mind, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, 
while they continually say to me, where is your God? Just as a deer thirsts for water, my soul thirsts for you. And here is this one, the sons of Korah, this contemplation. I think it's one that he desires this deep, intimate fellowship with the Lord. And he says, my soul longs for you. So the question for every single one of us tonight is this, what do you thirst for? What do you thirst for? Summer's here, right? Finally, it warmed up today. And it's starting to dry out. Matter of fact, it's supposed to be in the 90s, what I understand, the next few days. And as we get outside and we're working or you're perhaps taking a walk or you're jogging or whatever it might be, summertime, you know how it is. You're mowing the lawn. You're working in the garden, weeding, and you get really thirsty. What do you do? You go get some water. You, you get something to quench that thirst. But in our souls, spiritually, what do we do? Where do we go when we're thirsty? Because every single one of us will thirst. And here the psalmist is writing, as a, a deer pants for the water brooks, and you just picture a deer that has been running and panting and needing some water. You think about on a dry, hot day how thirsty that you can be, and I need some water, I need to quench that thirst. Well, what about spiritually? Where are you going to drink? And Jesus, of course, on the last day of the great feast in Jerusalem, in John chapter 7, he stood up and said, If any of you thirst, come to me and drink. Come to me. And he would tell that Samaritan woman that if you drink of the water of this well, Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the living waters that I have to give to you, you'll never thirst again. I am the bread of life, John chapter 6, he would tell the people up in the Galilee, and he whoever believes in me shall never hunger and thirst again, but you have everlasting life. Every single one of us are going to be thirsty in our souls, in our spirit. So the question is, where are you going to quench that thirst? And if you're going to the world, you're going to thirst again. Jesus said, you're going to keep dropping that bucket down that well. And you may be satisfied for a short season, but it's not going to last. I want to be more like this. I want to be more like the psalmist who says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. How I long to have fellowship with you. I want to be close to you. Now here the psalmist obviously is thinking the way that's done is go to your holy hill, to go to your tabernacle, to be able to have that fellowship. You and I, we know that as Hebrews chapter 10 declares to us that we can come boldly into the holy of holies with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have the privilege and the opportunity as we've gone over just a little bit about the priesthood in the Old Testament and Aaron being the high priest, only allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And hearing that truth from the book of Hebrews, wow, you guys get to go to the Holy of Holies that is into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for you. And you can do it whenever you want to. And you can stay as long as you want in the presence of the Lord and do it as many times as you want. And what an incredible privilege and opportunity that you and I have. Do you see why the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is superior? Because of what he has done for us. I'm so thankful to be on this side of the cross and the new covenant that we have. So here he's longing for the Lord and calling out to the Lord. And, and verse 3 is, as we go through dry times, you know, people will say to you and to me, where is your God? Where is your God? 
at a call on Calvary Life. That it was a young girl that called and said, you know, I have friends that, that challenge me about the Lord. And sometimes I don't sense the Lord. Sometimes I don't feel him, that he's there. And I just try to encourage her and pray with her that the Lord is there. That he loves you. An enemy is going to come along and he's going to try to make you feel isolated. Where is your God? He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. But the thing to remember is that God promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And we can know from God's word that he's near. And just as the Psalms that we've gone through, that he hears our cries and he knows our tears. And to go to him when we thirst in our soul. So the psalmist keeps writing, verse 4, When I remembered these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. Uh, again, I believe why somebody who was thinking of those feast days and sweet fellowship with God, I hope that, that fellowship with the Lord is the priority for you, for me. Knowing him, drawing closer to the Lord, growing in our love, and fellowship and intimacy and closeness with the Lord. It's the most important thing. It's more important than serving the Lord. And I'm not saying that serving the Lord is not important. What I'm saying is our personal relationship is the most important thing that we have. And so here the psalmist is writing, oh, I remember those times in verse 5 that as, well, in verse 4 he continues, I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me, hoping God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance? So Christians, we can feel, you know, downcasted. But we are to know that our hope is in him, and we are to continue to give our praises to him. In verse 6, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon. Hermon is the mountain on the north of Israel. That's why I believe that this is a Levite that's away from Jerusalem. He's up north. He, he misses the pilgrim, you know, feasts and, and journeying to Jerusalem. For some reason, he, he isn't able to go. And so he's up there. He's feeling alone from the hill Mitzar. Um, he's a long way from Jerusalem. And deep calls into deep, but the noise of your waterfalls, there's a lot of water up there. It's the headwaters of the Jordan River. Matter of fact, if you've been with us in our trips to Israel there, you can go there and there's three forks of the Jordan River and, you know, it's like a mountain stream here. As the waters come from under the mountain, Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon is the highest point, probably where the Mount of Transfiguration was, the highest point in Israel. They got a ski area up there, matter of fact. So the waters come down and they gush out and the little waterfalls. They even got trout in some of the streams. It's kind of cool to watch them. But there he is, and he's talking about that. And all your waves and billows have gone over me. And the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to God of my life. And so he's looking to God for strength. And you can sense that he's up and he's down. And as we go into verse 9, we're going to see that he's down again. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning uh, because of the oppression of the enemy. So he's down. Why have you forsaken me, Lord? I think a lot of us have felt that at some time in our life. And we are to walk by faith, not by sight, not by our feelings. That's why it's going to be really important that 
on Sunday when we go through the spiritual blessings that we have in the heavenlies as we're taken into the heavenlies. It's important for us to be establishing those truths. Hey, you've been chosen before the foundations of the world. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You have an inheritance in the Lord. And you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so all these blessings that you're going, wow, Lord, this is incredible. This is so wonderful, the spiritual blessings that I have. And then the rest of the chapter, we will see that Paul begins to pray for the Christians. And he's praying that, that you may know his will and how precious that you are to God. And we'll go over that in detail. That you and I are his inheritance in the saints. That you may know that your eyes may be enlightened, is what the apostle says. Oh, that you may know this. And you see, once we're established in those truths, how we are taken into the heavenlies and how valuable we are in the Lord, then we won't be so up and down all the time. Of course, we will feel discouraged at times. But it will help us to realize that, Lord, your word declares that I am important to you and that I can fellowship with you at any time and I can cry out to you and you're there. You won't leave me or forsake me. That, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end, as the Lord says. And that I know that I have these spiritual blessings in you. And may my eyes be enlightened and may I come and know and understand that I am your inheritance. That prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 just absolutely blows me away. I mean, he talks about the heavenly blessings that we have, that we have an inheritance in him. I mean, the riches of heaven are ours. But to say that may you know and understand of his inheritance in the saints, in other words, you and I are so valuable to God that he sees us as his inheritance. Now, I look in the mirror and I think, me? God got the bad end of the deal. That's for sure. But we'll talk more about it as we continue through Ephesians. So here he's, he's down in, in verse 10. With the breaking of my bones, the psalmist writes, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me, hoping God? For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God, as he just continues, you know, to cry out to the Lord. His enemies coming against him. My hope is in God, and that's our hope. And vindicate me, O God, as Psalm 43, Pilate, just a continuation, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So again, feeling oppressed, he knows that God is truly his hope and strength. And we need to realize that as well. O send out your light, verse 3, and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. And why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? God, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God, calling for God's light. Of course, Jesus said that I am the light of the world and that Jesus, as he calls for the truth, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So God is light, not that he's a light bulb, he is light. It speaks of his purity. 
and God is truth, not a truth. He is truth. And we can call upon him because of our relationship and closeness to him. So, Father, we thank you. We know our hope is in God through Jesus Christ alone. And so, Father, I, I thank you that, Lord, as we come tonight, and Father, as we read these psalms, we hear the heart of the psalmist, that perhaps some of these things that we are hearing, we are feeling in our own hearts, going through similar circumstances. So, Father, I just pray that you would bring that comfort to us and any of us that thirst, that truly that we would come to you and drink. Father, I do want to pray if there's anybody here, maybe perhaps listening on live stream or anyone here that perhaps you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know and we declare that he is your salvation, that he is truth, the way, the life. He brings eternal life to those who call upon him, who recognize their need for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there's anyone here that you don't have that personal relationship, maybe you think that going to church, you're okay, but church won't save you. Trying to be a good person won't save you. But Jesus died for every one of your sins. And salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus and recognizing your need for him. Surrender your life to him. Believe that he died for your sins and rose again from the grave. And I pray that if anyone here tonight, that as Jesus gives the invitation, come to me and drink. Those who hunger and thirst and come and eat and drink of me shall have eternal life because he is the bread of life and he has living water to give to you. And you can pray right where you are that, Lord, I, I come to you thirsty in my heart and my soul for the living God. And I recognize my need for Jesus, the Savior of the world, and I cry out to you. I am a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me. And I believe that you rose from the grave. And so I pray that Jesus, you be my personal Lord and Savior. And that you would reign in my life and in my heart. And I thank you for dying for me and hearing my prayer. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And for all of us, that we would live by faith. And just as Paul wrote, just as we come to the Lord Jesus and began with him that we would continue with him just in faith closeness and intimacy with you Lord Lord I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way take us home safely tonight and Lord may we just each and every day know that you are our hope thank you for this time that we've had together and it's in Jesus name that we pray and all of God's people said would you please stand?